Welcome to the Chameleons Podcast. In this episode, I met with Melissa Daimler, Chief Learning Officer of Udemy, one of the leading learning technology companies today, as well as an esteemed speaker, panelist, and contributor to Harvard Business Review and Forbes, and the author of the book, Reculturing. Melissa has previously had executive positions at Adobe, Twitter, and WeWork. And in this episode, we talk about her background in the field of tech and learning, her new book, and the importance of company culture, as well as some ideas about education for the future. To me, there is nothing like meeting people in person to experience the unique energy and humanity of our shared pursuits, whether it is in a conversation or collaborative effort. It creates a feeling of being part of something bigger, an expansion of my cultural belonging. So when I heard that Melissa Daimler, an expert on organizational development, company, culture, and learning was coming to Oslo, it seemed like the perfect opportunity to host a brunch and a podcast interview at home. I truly enjoyed this generous conversation, an opportunity to learn from Melissa, and hope you will do too. I'm Imak Samrana, and this is The Chameleon's Podcast. Welcome to The Chameleon's Podcast. It is with great honor that I'm introducing my next guest, Melissa Daimler. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you. It's great to be here and in person. <laughs> it's really wonderful to have you in Oslo. Before we start talking more about your book, which I'm really interested in hearing about, I was wondering, could you tell a little bit about your background, how you got into this industry of learning? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yes. Well, again, thank you. It's so great to be here. And I do a lot of these, but I don't get to always do them in person. So it's great to be here in person with you in Oslo. This is when work and play come together. Yeah, I think whenever I'm asked to talk about myself, there's always the longer version and the shorter version. So hopefully I'll give you the the shorter (laughs) version. But I've been in tech for over 20 years. And I would say that my main two focus areas have been in organizational development and learning. I think my love of systems thinking, which I know we're going to get into later, has been the theme throughout my entire career. Mm-hmm. When I was at Adobe, I was there for almost 11 years, which especially in Silicon Valley is unheard of mm-hmm. now. But I was able to be in a lot of different roles there. So mm-hmm. I started out as frontline people partner. So mm-hmm. being able to work directly with the business on HR and people issues. Mm -hmm. I got to work with every function across the organization. So I got to know a little bit more about the engineering team, finance, HR, legal product. So it was a great experience just to understand Mm -hmm. Again, more about the business. And then as I was there a couple of years, I was also able to get my master's degree in organizational development from Pepperdine and Adobe supported me getting that and was able to start the organizational development function. We at the time were going through a ton of change. We had a new CEO. We were shifting our entire business model. We were acquiring our first major company And I remember coming back from, I was doing an immersive program where you'd go away for a week and then come back and our head of people would say, you know, hey, what did you learn about org design and org structure? Because we're just about to acquire a big company. (laughs) We have a lot of work to do around that. So it was the classic opportunity to kind of take what I was learning and apply it immediately. And so was able to start the OD function and really build an area in the company where you were focused more holistically on some of the organizational issues, helping with other acquisitions that we were doing. We were shifting our entire business from shipping products in a box to moving everything into the cloud. So that was just a huge transformation for the company and a lot of change. When when was this? This was 2005, 2006-ish. 
And, you know, Mm. that took not six months or a year, but two, three years. I mean, these are big changes Mm. that are, are happening. And so, you know, from a systems perspective, you have to look at, you know, there's there's the business strategy, then there's the org design, then there's the people. And a lot of the leaders that we had in place could develop with us, but there mm-hmm. were some that, you know, just it, it was time for them perhaps to leave or move into different roles. Mm-hmm. So a lot of change. And then the final job I took there was a combination of learning and organizational development. So mm-hmm. we were at the cusp of really thinking about learning and a lot of what we're thinking about now, even at Udemy, Mm. where you have this blended learning experience. We had a global footprint. So we were really trying to figure out how do you not just teach people in a classroom because we needed to teach people not just in San Jose, California, Mm. but in Tokyo and in India and all over the world. So there was an opportunity at Adobe to kind of evolve how we thought about learning and bringing that together mm-hmm. with organizational development as we were moving through all of these changes. So lots of opportunities there. And then mm-hmm. I got the opportunity to go to Twitter in 2012 when it was what I call the glory years, <laughs> not the Twitter we know today. And mm-hmm. it was a very small company. There were only like 800 employees. Oh. And so there was an opportunity there to start the OD and learning function from mm-hmm. scratch. And wow. so had an opportunity to to go into that company and really build that function and put in some really great learning experiences as well as also help the company go through massive change. When I left, there were about 4,500 employees. We awarded a billion dollar revenue and we went public. So there there was quite a lot of change. So learned a lot there. And then when we were called, it was an opportunity to kind of get out of tech altogether and go back to New York, which mm. we talked about. Yeah. I love that city. And really just think differently about what at the time they were calling themselves a, a real estate play. And it was growing very fast, mm. like a rocket ship. And mm. so was very much interested in going there and figuring out how to build that company and the culture. And I can say now that I'm grateful to have gone there because I learned what not to do. So Twitter and Adobe were great examples of cultures that I, I would say for the most part were, were fairly healthy and we made mistakes along the way, but we acknowledged them and were able to pivot pretty quickly. And at WeWork, everybody heard the story about what happened there. Mm-hmm. I think you know that was the classic issue of, there were a lot of issues, but you know not really looking at the company as a system, you know, kind of being a little disjointed from what the strategy was with what the purpose was, which what with what the culture was, and there were issues all across the board. So I learned a ton from that and then had the opportunity to kind of pause and reflect and started writing a lot. I wrote a Harvard Business Review article on culture that then turned into my book, Reculturing. Yes. And it was all about the opportunity to kind of leverage culture much more than we do today. And I know we're going to get into that in Mm. a little bit. And then after about four years just consulting and working with a number of different companies through the pandemic, which everybody was trying to figure out, you know, what is culture now with everybody being at home at their kitchen table like we are right now? (laughs) So then Udemy called. I had a friend there who ran people for that organization. And she said, there's a huge opportunity to partner really with them in becoming their chief learning officer. They were growing fast Mm -hmm. as an organization and trying to figure out how to evolve and transform as a learning company and wanted a thought leader in the area of learning and culture. And so the opportunity was there for me to come and contribute not only as an internal learning leader to run the learning function, but to also touch the product. So have a team of people who were specifically helping to drive the product. They had learning science backgrounds and 
we're able to identify kind of what what additional features to include in some of our products and continue to think innovatively about that. And then I had another team focused on just the customer. So because I'm the primary customer of Udemy, chief learning officers, chief technology officers, we then get to work more closely with the sales and customer success teams to make sure that they understand what it is we need when talking to our own customers. And then I get to work directly with customers as well. So it felt like a dream job Mm -hmm. that just came knocking that I had to take. So I've been there for a year and a half and it has been so much fun. I have such a great team and the company is growing so fast and we're really evolving to be a learning company that is focused on professional, technical, and leadership skills. I read somewhere that they have 62 million learners Mm -hmm. and 70,000 instructors. Yep, 75,000 instructors. Yeah, it's crazy. And we work with about 15,000 companies. And we're in 75 languages. So our content is unique in that... It's a marketplace model. So we have people all over the world who can be instructors mm. for us. Anyone can Anyone, sign up? Mm-hmm. No yeah. matter what credentials they have? or um, would you- We curate, mm. and especially for Udemy business, mm. for the ones that go directly to our enterprise customers, we curate those and make sure that those have top evaluations. Mm. So every course, you can see the evaluations. And so on average... Every course has about a 4.6 out of 5, 4.7 out of 5 Mm -hmm. star rating. If they're not rated well over time, we'll take them off the platform. But Mm -hmm. this is a model where our students are telling us to and grading us on the quality. And is there any area you're not covering? I mean, over 20,000 courses Mm -hmm. and almost 9,000, 10,000 in English. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, we're covering a lot of different fields and we are covering things that are relevant. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I talk about, you know, we talked earlier a little mm-hmm. bit about AI mm-hmm. and the speed at which that technology is coming. And mm-hmm. in November of 2022 was when, you know, we started hearing more and more about ChatGPT and what this AI technology was all about by January of 2023, we already had 150 courses on our platform, and we now have over a thousand in AI. Yeah, or in in ChatGPT. Wow. Yeah, thousand courses in that particular in that particular topic. Yeah, in all languages. They're mostly in English Mm. right Mm. now, but that just shows you how fast we can make momentum around certain topics and get that learning out into the world. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. It is fascinating the impact it might have on access to Mm -hmm. education, Mm -hmm. access to training. That's what the original purpose was. It was to democratize learning, democratize education. It was founded by a a gentleman in, in Turkey, and he didn't have access to the schooling that he wanted. So he just started teaching himself, and he wanted everybody in the world to have access in the way that he was able to discover access himself. So our whole purpose is around democratizing learning and to improve lives through learning mm-hmm. around the globe. It is interesting when you think about traditional educational institutions. First of all, good quality education is not accessible to everyone. Moreover, when it is available, there is also criteria to enter the best programs. Mm-hmm. So even if it is within kind of your regional area, you might not even be able to attend or to access the best education. Mm-hmm which is kind of interesting. These resources like Udemy just changes the whole game by saying that you don't need any credentials Mm -hmm. to take this and we don't care where you come from or where you live and you can have it if you can manage. Like that's up to you to show and do. Yeah, Mm. I think a lot of the shift that is happening now has to do with skills. We're talking a lot more about skills in the learning industry versus degrees. And so how do you think about, you know, especially when we're talking about exactly what you just said, we want more diversity of thought and we want more inclusive environments. And 
we want a more leveling, uh, a level playing field. And to do that, we need to focus more on what skills do we need for the particular job versus looking so much as to what the degree is or how many years of experience you have. And, you know, I think that does allow for companies to bring in more diverse people that we wouldn't normally be able to have uh, be credentialed for any kind of job. Do you think that this might change the whole educational system eventually? These resources that you find online today, because the quality is increasing, the Mm -hmm. selection is increasing, Mm -hmm. and then... You can basically do it anywhere. You mm-hmm. can bring your laptop with you or you can use a, a stationary one. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think it will change the whole game? Eventually, will we have educational institutions in the future mm-hmm. that are located? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do feel like we had some peak into the future with the pandemic. And I think a lot of the traditional institutions across the globe had no other choice but to think differently about how to teach and how to disperse information. And a lot of schools who weren't already doing online learning programs had to quickly learn how Mm. to do that. Some did it better than others. But I do think the future of learning is a blended learning experience where you still, I think there still is room and there is a need for people to come together. This Mm. is a whole other topic Mm. to talk Mm. about. Mm. We talk about hybrid workplaces. Mm. There's a lot of controversy about Mm. that right now. But I do think this idea of the flipped classroom, Mm. which, you know, that concept has been around for many, many years, Mm. but being able to Make sure that as a teacher, you know, you as a professor, I'm sure do this where you have your students read a number of things and the whole point of coming together isn't to then lecture more, it's to then discuss, to have conversation and to convene and to debate and to do things that you can't normally do as easily you know, online or or through Zoom or Mm. through your computer. So I I think the the future of learning is this kind of blended learning experience Mm. where you can take, you do some things in Mm. an asynchronous online way, which is, of course, what a lot of Udemy Mm. does. But we're also doing a number of things now Mm. where we're having synchronous learning opportunities online and working with a lot of companies who are then blending that with in-person experiences. Mm. Mm. Yes, that we still will have a combination of it, but maybe more opportunities online and also alternatives. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. It's also hard to imagine education without hands-on mentoring Mm -hmm. and direct contact. Mm. You mean in person? In person, yes. Yeah. You mentioned your book, mm. and I'm really curious about that because reculturing, that's such an interesting title, by the way, it concerns not only the organization, right, and the structuring of it, but also the content and what's mm-hmm. happening inside it. So I was wondering if you could tell me sure. a little bit about yeah. that and yeah. why you wrote it and what it's about. Yeah, and- for sure. I have... I think been, well, I've been thinking about culture my entire career. I, you know, we, we talked about systems thinking. I've approached every one of my positions and jobs that I've had as a systems thinker. And so I was always looking at how everything connected. So, you know, you have your purpose of the company and then you have your strategy of the company and you have your culture of the company But oftentimes I felt like those weren't being leveraged enough as a holistic system. And I felt especially that culture wasn't leveraged as much as it could be. And for so long, I have heard and and push back on this idea that culture is just happy hour or it's the ping pong tables and the games and the fun stuff of the organization, when really it, to me, is a very active set of practices in how we work with each other. It's every conversation that we have. It's in every decision that we make. It's in every connection that we have with each other. And I think that culture can strengthen or weaken everything that you have in a company. And so often I I get the question of, 
do we really need to focus on culture, especially some of these startups, you know, when they're Mm -hmm. first starting, can we just wait until we hire HR? And I always (laughs) laugh because your culture is happening, whether by design or default. So you might as well be designing it. Mm -hmm. And so after WeWork, which was a challenging experience to say the least, Mm -hmm. when I saw a lot of things collapse because of the lack of focus on culture. I just felt that it was time to write something more modern than what I had continued to read. Culture as a concept has been around for over 70 years. In in business? Yeah, Mm -hmm. in business. And it actually comes from the Latin word colere, which means Mm. to grow. And Mm. so it is an active word and it, it's not something that so often I think also people think if you just write values you're done that's what culture is and <laughs> I have realized over time that again culture is this active set of practices and it's not just what your values are but what your behaviors are so if you declare that a, a value of innovation is is yours as an organization what does that look like? What would you be doing if you were innovative? Mm. What are some of the behaviors that would be happening in an organization if we were innovative? And then how do you take those behaviors and embed them into all of the people processes? So how you hire, how Mm. you onboard, how you Mm. develop, Mm. how you reward, how you give feedback, all of that is culture. And then your daily practices Mm. are things like meetings and communication and decisions and all of those things that we just kind of are on autopilot with, those are active opportunities to embed culture. And so culture to me is three things. It's your behaviors, processes, and practices. And it's an ongoing set of practices that you do versus a one-off initiative that Mm. just happens. Right. And what's the difference between behavior processes and, and practices? practices? So, so behaviors are what we just talked about, mm. which is going beyond just a value and really thinking about it more specifically. And I was first inspired by this with Netflix. Patty McCord, who was the head of talent there, was pretty non-traditional, had mm-hmm. some provocative ways of thinking about HR and culture. And they first came out, there's a a deck out there called the Culture Deck that many of us in Silicon Valley have seen. Okay. If you've checked it out, it's online. Okay. Um, The Culture Deck. It's the Culture Deck. Mm. Yeah. And Netflix created this deck where it identified not just what our values were, but the behaviors behind it. And so they were really clear about what good looked like. And, and what it looked like if you weren't performing as well as you should. So I was inspired by that. And based on my experience at Twitter and Adobe especially, realized that values can only go so far, but you have to be much more specific about what you mean by a value. And I'll, I'll give you a, a quick example. Staying with the value of innovation, when I was consulting, I had two different companies that I was working with, both of which had the innovation value mm. on you know their, the their website. <laughs> and one wanted to go faster with innovation and one wanted to go slower. And so it was a very different context as to why they had that value. The one that wanted to go faster realized that they were being too much of a perfectionist, that they wanted everything buttoned up too much before they went into any kind of prototype. And so one of the behaviors that they created was we get to version one quicker. Whereas the other company, they were realized they were going a bit too fast and they wanted to be focused much more on quality of mm. innovation. And so one of the behaviors they created for themselves was we ask each other why. And so in meetings, oftentimes, and I've, I've stayed in touch with both companies and the one that wanted to slow down, they said so often now we're in meetings and we ask why and we know where that's coming from. Sometimes when we ask why, some people can get really defensive. But in this case, it's a very good conversation because they realize, okay, we have to take a step back and ask why we're going after this particular idea and why now Mm. and why not something else. And it just gives us this really great foundation for having an active 
conversation that we may not have had before. So two different companies with the same value, but very different behaviors. Mm. So I think you need to go to that next level as an organization when you're thinking about embedding culture into your day-to-day work. That's so fascinating. Yeah. So you can see the same values on the walls or Mm -hmm. on their website, right? Mm -hmm. And then you never think about how different it looks like Mm -hmm. inside a company Mm -hmm. and in the exchanges between people. Right. That's fascinating. Yeah. And and it's so interesting. It's almost like we take for granted that that value Mm -hmm. translates into something specific. Right. We know what creativity looks like, right? Right. Right. It's it's very open and it's very kind of new. And then it doesn't look like that. Right. At Udemy, you won't be surprised that one of our values is always learning. Mm, But when I first started, I kept asking, what does that mean to you? What does always learning mean to you? And, you know, some people said, you know, hey, we encourage learning. We use our own platform or, you know, I'm asking questions a lot or there were so many different definitions. And so at Udemy, we were reculturing and we created a, a new value, courageously experimental, but then we identified behaviors for each of our values. And so we have 15 behaviors for each value total. total. So each value has three behaviors, mm. but under always learning one of the behaviors we realized was around constructive debate Mm. because we realized as we were talking Mm. before in order to have diversity of thought and to bring in different ideas and in order to really learn we needed to be able to debate much better than we were we were very nice company and i think debate meant that we weren't going to be so nice with each other. And so the behavior is we actively, constructively debate each other to make better decisions. Right. And then now from a skills standpoint, as a learning company, we are taking that behavior and then teaching people, all of our employees, how to constructively debate. I think that's one of the things that's missing often in some of the cultural Mm -hmm. exercises is that, You've identified these values and behaviors, embedded them, but then you don't teach people how to reinforce them. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. we're teaching people how to ask really good questions, how to listen, Mm -hmm. how to inquire, all those things that make up good constructive debate in a conversation right if you tell a child be critical for instance mm-hmm. now now you're gonna be critical of each other's work or provide critical mm-hmm. remarks it's interesting to watch uh, people how they interpret yes. uh, that invitation mm. and sometimes it's interesting to see that it triggers very different things in people mm-hmm. but of course you can be super specific about mm-hmm. why you're doing something how they're doing it Mm-hmm. to kind of give a, a process-oriented tool mm-hmm. and then why it's for this purpose mm-hmm. and not for that purpose, which right. might have been your trigger. Mm. For instance, like ego. Yeah. But with so specific tools and specific discussions that mm-hmm. that is put on the table in a way. Yeah. And you can be super aware of your communication. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's interesting because I, it is very specific and I often get asked, do we need to be that prescriptive? And when you're so prescriptive, are you limiting freedom Mm -hmm. with employees? And I always, I I talk a lot about in the book, this idea of polarity thinking Mm -hmm. and that so often in organizations, especially fast growing organizations, you can't be thinking in a binary way. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not, can we either be strategic or tactical and operational? It's both. Mm -hmm. It's not Mm -hmm. short-term thinking or long-term thinking. It's both. And, you know, I think in a company, especially, there is this kind of tension or polarity between, you know, constraint, mm. you know, and, and what are the guardrails versus freedom. And so often, I think we make the mistake as leaders to almost give too much freedom to the point where people are craving clarity and craving direction. And especially in the pandemic, I think that all got amplified, that we realized 
employees really need to understand what it is they're supposed to be responsible for, what it is they're supposed to be driving, Mm -hmm. what are the checkpoints, what are the outcomes, and then give me the freedom to go work on that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just really important to, as a leader and manager in an organization, to understand where to be clear and intentional, Mm -hmm. and then just allow employees to express that in the way that that works for them. So I think it's a, a mix of both. A mix of both, yes. So then you have behaviors and then processes. Processes are, to me, those people processes, those everyday things that we're doing anyway. So the hiring, the onboarding, the developing people, your recognition process, how Mm. you reward people, Mm. how you give feedback. My whole point is the extent to which we can integrate those behaviors that we've identified exemplify our culture If those can then be embedded into each one of those processes, that gives you such a a better opportunity then to make sure your culture is being lived Mm. on an everyday basis. So as an example, in all the companies I've been in, we've embedded kind of the values and behaviors into hiring questions. So for example, tell me about a time when you've constructively debated something and it didn't go the way you wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a question that we have at Udemy. Or, you know, tell me about a time when you had to get something out really quickly and it couldn't be perfect, but you needed to get out a prototype. What happened and how did you work through that? So embedding those behaviors into the questions allows you to make sure that you get people not to, I don't love the idea of culture fit, but to complement mm. your organization mm. and your culture. So making sure that they understand what your values and behaviors are and they can live and, and act within that and provide perhaps a different perspective mm. as well or mm. a different way of thinking about constructive debate. When it's so specific, you can discuss that specificness Mm -hmm. you can discuss that yeah and and talk about it and have input on it Mm -hmm. but when it's diffuse not specified Mm -hmm. it's very hard to have conversation about it and whether it needs to change Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and the third one was practices practices yeah Yeah. processes (laughs) are more of the you know kind of longer term organizational areas that were continuing to look at as as leaders and as employees so Mm. you know it's it's the employee life cycle if you will Mm. so from hiring to even offboarding making sure that behaviors are embedded into each of those whereas practices are more i would say kind of team oriented or day-to-day oriented so again those meetings that you have how can you leverage opportunities in those meetings to embed some of the behaviors. Like in our team meetings that we have with my team, we try to encourage constructive debate as much as possible. We also have another behavior around having space and and reflection time around Mm. learning. Mm. And so we make sure that after every major project that we do, we take time to do a after action review Mm. and talk through what worked, what didn't, what did we learn? And we embed that into our team meetings. Mm. So the extent to which you can use those kind of day-to-day opportunities Mm. to reinforce some of those behaviors, I think is such an opportunity to, to, you know, clarify what your culture is and Mm. what it isn't. Yes, it becomes so actionable. Mm-hmm. I guess the particular advices or dis- discussions in, uh, that you have might be very different for different tasks and for different teams. So if you have specific practices relevant for meetings online in that particular area with that particular team, it might look different mm-hmm. for another team mm-hmm. that's working on another in-person meeting, mm-hmm. another topic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say people always ask too, like, are, what about microcultures? I have perspectives on that one. I do believe that it's important to have a consistent mm. culture across the organization. I think it gets confusing when teams create their own values mm. and behaviors and their mm. own vision. And especially as we're becoming more global, as companies become more global, 
there is such an opportunity for employees to move around. And nowadays, matrix organizations are becoming more common. Projects are popping up all over. And so to have a consistent language, Mm. organizational language Mm. is important. Mm. And Mm. that we all know that we're all operating from the same playbook is really important. Right. But I think what you just said is really important too. And so while I don't believe in microcultures, I do believe that teams need to have and should have opportunities on a consistent basis. Maybe we do it every quarter to look at their own practices. Mm. So how often are we meeting? What are we meeting on? Do we need to have these meetings anymore? How are we doing on decisions? What about our big meetings, you know, across the entire function? So I think, and even, you know, what works and how we're working, like, should we use Slack? Are we using WhatsApp? If I need to reach you right away, what kind of modality do I need to be using? What vehicle of communication? So Mm. I, I think it's a good practice in and of itself for teams to review and talk to each other every quarter about, you know, what's working, about our work together, right. especially when you're bringing in new employees or, you know, something has changed in the system. Mm. You're essentially starting over. It is a new team. Right. And so I think there is an opportunity to kind of come together and review how to work together more effectively. Right. Like a fresh start Mm -hmm. every time, Mm -hmm. but still with some consistencies, like building on the culture that's there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Within that, yeah, within that context of of the culture, but your your team practices can be different across the organization. Right. And the title, I love that, re-culturing. So it's not like you're creating something completely new, Mm -hmm. but it's really coming out of, like a revisitation mm-hmm. and improvement of what's already existing. Yes. Yeah. I think you're constantly looking at how to grow, how to evolve, how to iterate on what's already been done. Because even if you aren't growing as an organization, you're still, you know, you may not be growing your employees. A lot of companies right now mm-hmm. are kind of maintaining their Mm. employees. We're not growing as fast, Mm. but things are still changing Mm. and things change with teams, things change with employees. So Mm. it's still good to talk about what those changes are. This book is probably relevant for many different companies. At the same time, you have a lot of experience from companies that are working with a particular group of people. You're like, tech people, for mm-hmm. instance, or people who are working with educational programs. So it's kind of a particular ecosystem mm-hmm. <laughs> of people. And I'm wondering, are there any aspects of the reculturing process and the developmental process that is particular for that that industry? Industry, tech. tech. And do you think there are any distinctive considerations that are needed to be taught or not. I mean, it might yeah, not I mean, be. <laughs> I, I think, I, I think culture is agnostic of, of any industry. Yes. You know, while I've only been in, I've primarily been in tech, a lot of different industries are reculturing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I just worked with a nonprofit, pretty big nonprofit organization who is in, in the process of reculturing and kind of looking again at their culture and, and how do we evolve it. So, mm-hmm. I don't think it's it matters what mm. industry you're in. I think you can reculture if you're a five-person company in tech or, you know, 100,000-person, you know, finance and company to a 50-person nonprofit. So I think mm. it is agnostic. So it's uh, pretty general. Mm-hmm. And what about the functions that you have had in, in your work related to human development and learning within the organization, within the company? Could you talk a little bit about your experiences there related to distinctive considerations for the tech field, but also in general, what you've worked on there? Sure. Mm. So... Organizational development and learning, I think, go well together Mm. because I think in order to build out any kind of strategic, long-lasting leadership 
program, mm. you definitely need to understand how that sits within the context of the organization. So, and this is where it goes back to systems thinking. I mm. think any good kind of learning experience takes into consideration, you know, the the business context, you know, what the company is trying to accomplish. And there's a, a very strong connection to the, the business strategy. And it takes into consideration the context of the employee. I think that no matter what job you have, you're, you're expected, especially in today's world, to be a good communicator, mm-hmm. to work well on a team, to be able to problem solve, to be able to be a leader, whether you're a formal leader of mm-hmm. a team or whether you're just an individual leader, you know, pulling projects together. So I, I think culture shows up in in every job you're in and more and more I think culture and the environment in which you work is becoming so important to employees Mm -hmm. the questions that people ask before coming into a company are ones that you know I don't think you and I would have asked Mm -hmm. many many years ago but having a meaningful purpose having meaningful work where I get to learn and grow every day is something that keeps employees in companies today because they can get a job wherever. The job will be there in a lot of different organizations. Mm. But if you also are focused on developing the employee and making sure that they understand how their work impacts the overall business and then ideally the overall purpose of the company, that means a lot especially to our our gen zers mm, and mm, the millennials mm. you know they're they're very much i think we were always focused on that in in our generation but that has become even more important to employees today like a globalized citizenship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in diplomacy mm, that's a good way to say it maybe mm-hmm. it's fascinating through people you shape culture, mm-hmm. which is, like you said, a part of the systemic, overall, mm-hmm. holistic with like uh, level of the company. Mm-hmm. The culture is like all in passing, mm-hmm. dripping into every mm-hmm. cracks and bits of the yeah. company in a way. Yeah. And, and if you do it right, I mean, if it, you, it is, you, you make it relevant for every person. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. it's not, I always say the, the what is the goals and the strategy mm-hmm. and the how is is the culture mm. and and the team piece and we evaluate people at Udemy on the what and how so mm. you can't just deliver on results you have to also be a good team player you mm. have to reinforce our values and behaviors mm-hmm. you have to be a learner you have to constructively debate all of those pieces are just as important if not more important in being a, a good high performing employee right you probably think about this more than I do, like strategically, but belonging is so interesting because the idea and feeling of belonging, it just changes everything, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If you feel like you belong and if there's a culture that you connect with and you're part of, it's a grounding mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. that individual. At the same time, uh, you probably also want the environment to be professional, like not all over the place, like it shouldn't be your family Mm -hmm. uh, because families are very different from each other and some are very broken. Oh my gosh, I always say that. When people say we're like family, I say we're not. Yeah, it's not a family. I I think a lot of people talk about organizations Mm. that we're family Mm. and it's not. That doesn't mean that we can't have a fun time Mm. and that we can't ensure exactly what you're talking about, that everybody belongs and that Mm. people feel safe and included and that we're all growing together. You can have all of that goodness Mm. in an organization. Mm. But I I actually disagree with people who say that, that it's, it's like family. Yeah. Like dinner discussions. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if it's more like the difference between sitting, you're having dinner with your family, your brothers and sisters and parents, maybe, and some are 
on the left when it comes to politics and some are mm-hmm. on the right and and you have some in some families there's a lot of emotional mm-hmm. uh, experiences yeah. related to that that's not positive mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and then when those family members walk out on the street and go to the store local store where they know the owner may be and they go and buy some food and they're friendly and they know him and they feel like they belong in that store but it, they would never behave mm-hmm. the way they did at the at dinner, that dinner table yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's so true yeah. you don't want that yeah. yeah yes yeah it's not that it's not that kind of mm-hmm. glory maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> i have to say that it's so impressive to read about your background and all your leadership experiences mm. it's really inspirational not only because i'm a woman for female leadership to have role models it's really important but also because it's really inspiring to see that you can have a a career like that where there's just one amazing big thing <laughs> after the other you're just building on it building on the experiences you had earlier and then becoming even more and more diverse and holistic in a way as well and specific Mm. at the same time in your expertise it's very inspirational so i was wondering if you have any experiences or tips maybe that you would like to share to aspiring young people and maybe also female or sure um, i would say the number one thing as i reflect on my career that I did was to take positions that I thought I wasn't ready for. There's this really interesting HP Hewlett Packard report that Mm. came out, I think it was 10 years ago now, where they looked at men and women and men applied for jobs if they only met 60% of the qualifications (laughs) and women only applied for jobs when they met 100% of the qualifications. And so I think as women, especially, we wait for opportunities because we think, oh, I just need a few more years experience, or I need to know a little bit more, or I need to master those skills for a little bit longer. Mm. And then those opportunities pass. If I look at every single one of my jobs, none of them did I feel comfortable taking. And I think it's also, this is the second piece that's related, is to have a strong network of other powerful women and men in in your life, personally and professionally, who can encourage you and who can kind of gently nudge you into (laughs) that position to say, of course you can do this. I have a wonderful partner who you know, and we we met through him, and he always would say, he would look at me just in a funny way, like, of course you're qualified. Of course Mm. you can do this. And I had a lot of amazing mentors and coaches and friends along Mm. the way who validated that and who I could go to when Mm. I did have questions or when I did have different thoughts about what was happening. So I, I would say, you know, say yes, even if you're not ready, or if you think you're not ready, and continue to build a strong network Mm. of friends and mentors and and coaches along Mm. the way. Yeah. Would you like to share some of the names of the most important mentors in your life? Oh my gosh. Yes, that I would know. be a whole it's other a podcast. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, had... I will I mean I'm I will mention Donna Morris, who did the foreword for my book. She's okay. now the head of people at Walmart. And she was influential to me at Adobe in mm. that she taught me very early on that no matter what position you take, you are a business leader first. Mm. And this is especially important in the you know, kind of organizational development, human resource people fields, because I think often we can lead with our heart or lead with people in mind, which Mm. of course is a good thing. And and you have to do that. And you also have to be a business leader. You have to understand what the strategy is, where the business is going, what the Mm. numbers mean, because I think you can do so much more and be such an effective leader if you are grounded in the business and know that language. Mm-hmm. So she taught me that mm-hmm. very early on. So kind of understand the system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
and really have a general overview of all aspects of the business. All aspects. Not yeah. just that one task you're exactly yeah, dedicated to do. Yeah. Mm. Understand what the world of an engineer looks like, what sales is going through, how we make revenue, you know, what is on the CEO's mind, Mm -hmm. you know, just really have a a holistic perspective of the business. Mm -hmm. And I think then in any job that you do, you you can bring that forward Mm -hmm. and then help your teams be more effective when you have that connection. Mm. I actually talked to Eric, your husband, when we had the interview with him. One thing that's fascinating with his background is he had a very varied background mm-hmm. from policy, from business, entrepreneurship, and these different roles in a way within the same industry. It gives all these, all these angles to the same problem. Mm-hmm. And in a way, and please correct me if I'm wrong, what I'm hearing here is really a, a bit of the same, mm-hmm. like that kind of very holistic overview that you can get, regardless of whether you have that one position, and then you can know about all these other things and be a part of it, almost mm-hmm. like you have your tentacles mm-hmm. out in all those mm-hmm. other aspects. So whether you have different roles and then get an insight to that same thing that they're all focusing on, or if you have a particular role, but you're getting insights into all those other roles. Yeah. You kind of get that big overview of right. the whole business. Yeah. Which is really fascinating. So mm-hmm. you, that's a, such a complimentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, just thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're that's good partners. A, yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, I can't imagine sitting at your dinner table like every night <laughs> and share and just listen to your conversations. Must be amazing. Yeah. One thing I'm wondering about when you've been talking now, like holistic and system thinking mm-hmm. and that really deep understanding and also appreciation of how different parts are connected and how working on one aspect of culture or of the business or people development impacts others Mm -hmm. and vice versa. And also when you talked earlier, like you had many positions that are related to system thinking Mm -hmm. or where you apply that Mm -hmm. from an early stage, even as when you worked in HR Mm -hmm. in the 90s, Mm -hmm. it seems like. So I'm wondering, do you know where that interest came from? Like why you are (laughs) being a systems thinker? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I opened up the whole book with a story about my dad. I grew up in the Midwest and we went sailing all the time. And I think sailing is such a great metaphor for what we're talking about here. Because, you know, he would teach me to look at the sail, but then not just look at the sail and look where the wind was coming, but also, you know, make sure I'm managing my rudder <sighs> and I'm looking at my crew and I'm looking ahead. And so there wasn't any one part of the boat that he had me focus on. He always wanted me to focus on how they were all working together to, wow. to move us forward. Mm. And although I was seven, so wow. I clearly didn't map that to <laughs> being a systems thinker, but I just have always been fascinated in, mm. you know, how things have been connected. And when I was seven, I first went to Sweden and met my family mm. over in Sweden for the first time and got to be part of some traditions with Midsummer and eat raw <laughs> yes. herring and Hello. all this, all these different, and I was just trying to figure out how are we connected and they live here and I live way over here and but yet we're the same but we have different languages and so yeah I think it just started very young when I I was curious and I Mm -hmm. I always when I first started out in HR I started out in training and development and I started coaching before everybody else became a coach in the (laughs) world but I was at Coach University which was the first coaching company and then I was one of the first certified coaches. Oh, and wow. Yeah, the the ICF, oh. International Coaching Federation, mm. became one of the the first certified coaches. I remember even when I would coach people individually and coach leaders, primarily women leaders, mm. and we would end up talking about their team and then the greater organization anyway. Mm. And so there again, I started seeing that It's so important, obviously, to provide coaching and guidance one-on-one, but we are all in a system Mm. and we are all connected to a bigger system. So to be more effective with that 
CEO or with that leader, I ended up working with their entire team and then sometimes working with their teams. Mm -hmm. So it was an opportunity to impact the system at a a greater level. And again, I think this fascination with how culture is tied to strategy and purpose. I say there's the why, the purpose, Mm -hmm. the what, the strategy, and the culture is the how, and that they all need to be connected. And the Peter Drucker, I think it's been debunked now, but you know, Peter Drucker, he's one of the, he's the father of management development and has written a lot of business books about management and change and leadership and culture. And it was said that he said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And again, I don't, I think that's been debunked now, but culture um, eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. Meaning that it's Mm. really important Mm. to focus on culture. And my Mm. whole thing has been, they need to eat breakfast together because I think (laughs) you can't have culture without strategy. Mm. And it's really hard to have strategy without culture Mm. and really be able to to Mm. sustain Mm. that. And so I think the goal is to, have them work together in the system Mm -hmm. and leverage each of those in a way that we wouldn't be able to leverage on their own, as you said. Mm. That's interesting. And it it is fascinating that whole analogy from sailing or like that kind of picture. I can see Mm -hmm. it. It, it It's such a great picture because it's like you're on this journey. Mm -hmm. So it's not only... A system that's working together, but it's actually on you're moving on your it forward. Yes. Yeah. It's a really mm-hmm. beautiful picture. I was also wondering if we look ahead a little bit. So the work you're doing at Udemy, it's related to the team, it's related to the products, the solutions and services. So it's like a very multifaceted mm. task. And I'm wondering in a way where you're going now, what the plans are ahead, more specifically what you're working on where the business is heading, really. Mm -hmm. And also a bit more about where you're heading. How are you going to shape this work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we talked a little bit about AI Mm. and that technology before. And I think, you know, we're spending a lot of time as a learning team and even as an organization trying to figure out how that's going to shift really everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in our lifetime, I've seen the the technology shifts with the web and then we with mobile and cloud. And now I, I think the difference here is that AI touches everybody. It's mm-hmm. not just for it's going to be for the engineers. It's impacting every single person. And so we're really thinking every day about how this is going to change how we work, how we learn, how we think, jobs, you know, what skills are going to be needing to be developed. There's new roles that are coming up Mm. all the time. There's a a role called prompt engineer now. Wow. um, That just got created in January. At Udemy? No. No, In general? In general. There is a role out there called prompt Prompt. engineer. That's awesome. And so, you know, what does that mean in terms of skills we need to develop? And we talked before mm-hmm. about how I think it's going to mean that debate and critical thinking and problem solving and mm-hmm. all of those things that I don't think, at least right now, any machine can do mm-hmm. well, those are going to be much more important skills mm-hmm. to develop and hone. Mm-hmm. And then we'll let, you know, AI and ChatGPT do some of the the basics mm. that we do today. Let let that do, let that technology do the version one of any job description or the mm. first version of a, mm. of a communication that you're trying to write. So I, I think that's been on my mind mm. quite a bit. Our own team is going through a whole learning experience together to, to learn more about AI. So practical skills, do you have any programs for it? or a strategy with regards to learning about AI and using it? Well, we have over a thousand courses on Udemy right now. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, we're actually, I I think just, you know, talking as a team about, Mm. you know, what what skills you need to understand more of this technology. And then, you Mm. know, what we always say too is practice. You know, we're sharing stories of how we're using ChatGPT and what prompts we gave it Mm. and the personas that we're leveraging in those prompts. Mm. So I think learning is one thing, but then being able to share and practice Mm. and bring those experiences back 
is is what we try to encourage. We do a lot of leadership development as well mm. beyond technical skills. We're teaching and rolling out programs now that are synchronous virtual mm. programs mm. for leaders inside of companies, really helping them navigate hybrid work. And so how do you lead in a hybrid right. workplace, which is everything you and I know mm. is basic leadership. Mm. It's just amplified. Again, everything that we did throughout the pandemic, mm. like use empathy and ask good questions mm. and get to know your employees at a personal level. All of that is just good leadership and management. I think it's amplified now mm. because you mm. don't get the casual conversations in the hallway mm. as much. Mm. You don't get to follow up with somebody that you see at mm. their desk just mm. randomly anymore. So you have to be much more intentional mm. in connecting with people and yeah. being clear what it is you need from them or what they need from you. And what they need from you, yes. And another thing, like, have you taught about at Udemy to apply AI in kind of the courses that are already there so that creating courses that might build on AI mm -hmm. so that the user will, for instance, have an even yep. more personalized experience. Yes, we are definitely embedding it into our products. Yes, yes. Yeah, looking at kind of AI coaches mm. or prompts or chat bots that, mm. you know, can kind of ask you questions and encourage you along the way. So we're, we're experimenting with that right now. That's so exciting. Mm -hmm. And you have all those programs mm -hmm. and all that potential data to create amazing products, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's exciting. It's, it's an exciting to be part of education for sure. I, I kind of want to know where you see your path is going. What do you think you're going to continue to spend time focusing on? What do you think will be most yeah. meaningful for you? Personally is one thing, but also with regards to where the technology is going with regards to AI. Mm. I think I am in my sweet spot right now mm. at Udemy. Mm. I think mm. the opportunity to kind of continue to build and develop our culture as we grow as a company, as well as help with developing the learning strategies there internally, as well as with so many other companies mm. is just such a fun and impactful opportunity. I do think there is another book in me, probably something more around learning and developing skill sets. But in the meantime, you know, continuing to, to talk about culture and, and how that can evolve. Mm. I think there's so many questions that we have right now in, mm. in trying to figure out the workplace. Yeah. You know, again, so many companies across the globe are trying to figure out what is a hybrid workplace and what does culture mean now? But yeah, I, yeah. I think I'll beat you to me for a while and continue to focus on developing healthy cultures, mm. making sure that there are workplaces that encourage us to develop and always learn. I think work mm. is the best learning lab yeah. there is. And yeah. so I'm continuing to learn about myself. Mm. I'm learning about my team and yeah. other people. And so I think there's it's a lot more to come. Yeah. So learning will be a big part of mm -hmm. your journey ahead. Mm -hmm. You're focusing on building human capacities and skill sets through all these educational programs and the positions you have. And then you're also building culture. Mm-hmm or reculturing the culture around those individuals so in a way ensuring that it's kind of like I see a plant growing and then you have kind of the environment for that plant to grow mm -hmm. around it mm -hmm. and you're not just gardening the plant but you're making sure that the entire environment is good yeah which is fascinating that's a great way to it's a good metaphor you're a great gardener <laughs> <laughs> my husband would not agree yeah. <laughs> and so and then final question i you already said something about your inspirations in life but do you remember some of the first memories of being inspired who inspired you well i think my dad did through mm. sailing i think he was passionate about that hobby and it showed me that you could be passionate about something and still learn. Mm. That's what I loved about it is that he was such a good sailor mm. and he was learning every time we went sailing together, learning about new places to go or learning about different parts of the boat or learning about how to work with a bigger crew. There mm. could be a number of things, but the idea of being passionate about something and at the same time 
always continuing to learn was something I got from my dad. That's beautiful. And when you're out there underwater, there's nothing that is repetitive Mm -hmm. at all. (laughs) There's always something new (laughs) happening for sure. Yeah. No wave is the same. Even if you go the same distance, Mm -hmm. it's never Mm going to be the same journey. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, wow. With that, I would like to thank you so much thank for taking you. the time. This was fun. It was yeah. really fun. I actually would have loved to talk for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'll read your book. I can't wait thank to you. read it. Thank you. Uh, and I'll put it out here as a link as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for Thanks this. Thanks for having me. Following the conversation with Melissa, I have taught about how inspiring her systemic approach is and the importance of understanding how to continuously adapt and transform in order to lead the whole system onto new territories. This conversation has also inspired me to think more about the benefits of understanding the systems that we are part of, to get an overview of how it all connects. Even if our jobs can seem exclusive to one particular task, I'm attaching a link to her book and some other sources in the recommended reading list for the interested listener. I hope this conversation can inspire others to learn more about the systems and culture we are part of and how to plan for our learning paths within and beyond those systems. Thank you for listening to the Chameleons Podcast. I'm your host, Yemak Sambrama.